From the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, I'm Gemma Cadet. You're listening to Idaho Matters. It has been a rough winter for so many Americans, from RSV to the flu to COVID. Some folks have been hit hard. So will we soon see a slowdown? And what about vaccines for viruses like RSV? Well, joining us today to talk all about public health is Dr. David Pate, former CEO of St. Luke's Health System and a current member of the Idaho Coronavirus Task Force. Remember, if you have any questions about public health, send them to us, Idaho Matters at boisestate.edu. Hi, Dr. Pate. Hi, Gemma. Okay, so Dr. Pate, um, so as I mentioned, it has been one rough winter for so many people. Um, Amen. And, right, and we have vaccines for the flu. We have vaccines for covid what about a vaccine for RSV? And and I'm asking that because I think for so long, we all kind of just assumed that this was a virus that little kids got, in particular babies. Um, and that certainly has not been the case this year. Well, that's right. In fact, it's not even really been the case in previous years. It just doesn't get talked about very much. Mm. So certainly RSV or respiratory syncytial virus is one of those seasonal viruses that we typically see during the winter time when we're seeing all these other things. But it is really rough on young children, especially mm-hmm. those under the age of two and older people, uh, really anyone over the age of 60. And uh, sometimes this virus can produce Um, It can be one of the many things that produces uh, what parents will call croup, uh, where the kids just have a a terrible, terrible, uh, you know, cough. And uh, same thing can happen in uh, elderly folks. And every year we have more than 100,000 people hospitalized a year. So having a vaccine that was effective could really take some of the burden off of hospitals at a time when we're dealing with all these other respiratory viruses. Plus, Mm -hmm. every year, uh, anywhere from about maybe 8,000 to 14,000 older folks die of RSV. So this is really good news. And what happened is at at the end of last month and beginning of this month, the FDA's committee reviewed uh, some new vaccines uh, against RSV because we've been unsuccessful in the past. Now, these vaccines are not mRNA vaccines that have some people, um, you know, uh, launching campaigns against. The, these are not. And uh, what there's two companies that each came out with an RSV vaccine that could be given to older folks, those that are 60 and above. And at least in one of those studies, and they're still continuing to study, the effectiveness at preventing lower respiratory illness, not just upper respiratory symptoms, was 85%. So that's a blessing. Uh, now, uh, that doesn't mean they're approved, but, it, but it's a big step because they said, yes, these vaccines appear safe and they f- appear effective. So they're going to review more data. And we would expect that approval might be coming in the next couple months. The good news is those companies that produce the vaccines say they believe they could have them ready for this upcoming, this next uh, flu season. Uh, And so that would be wonderful. In addition, the problem uh, with children, particularly Mm -hmm. children under uh, six months of age, is that Uh, their immune systems aren't developed very well and they don't respond well to vaccines. So in a very clever move 
Pfizer developed a vaccine that we could give to pregnant moms. And then what happens is that we, what we call passively immunize the baby. In other words, the mother Mm -hmm. gets the vaccine. She develops the antibodies. Then those cross the placenta to the baby. And what they noticed in their trial is it provided about 82% protection to infants for 90 days, which is a really vulnerable period. So uh, this is just really fantastic news and we'll stay tuned and watch for the further developments, but very promising. That's really good news. My youngest had RSV at six weeks old and it is, it is scary when, when terrifying. Yes. It it really is. So Dr. Payne, I want to talk about some information that's, that's coming out, some research coming out in regards to seeing an increase in autoimmune diseases following um, COVID-19 infections. Yes, uh, this is something we've been aware of for a couple years now, that mm-hmm. people that get COVID, not the COVID vaccine, like a certain physician uh, touts, but uh, people that get COVID. The actual virus. They, the actual virus and infection that we have known for some time that they develop autoantibodies. In other words, what happens is uh, there's a number of ways this can happen, but a lot of time, and this happens with other things uh, too. We've seen this with other viruses that they may be looking enough alike of something that's in our actual body that the antibodies we make to that virus. And in this case, the SARS-CoV-2 virus can uh, also uh, attack in some people uh, their own uh, tissues. And so we've seen those autoantibodies for uh, some time. What we didn't know is, would they be consequential? Would they cause disease? So now we have a study that followed uh, patients for a year and a half after uh, COVID. Now, this is before Delta. So what we don't know is do our newer variants cause these same problems? One would assume that may certainly be a possibility, but we don't know that. But at least in the early strains of COVID that we dealt with, uh, what they found is a 42.63% increase in those people uh, developing autoimmune diseases after COVID than did a similar population that didn't get COVID. Now, Mm. that's a very high number, almost 43%, but understand autoimmune diseases are uncommon. So it's a big percent of something that's still relatively uncommon, although there are some common autoimmune diseases that I would see all the time in my practice, like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is a thyroid condition that can cause you to get Mm -hmm. low on your thyroid. Uh, we saw that after COVID, that risk for developing that disease increased almost four and a half times. And then there's another thyroid condition called Graves' disease, where instead of getting low, it gets high. And that was about three and a half times. And then people are familiar with rheumatoid arthritis, and that was increased about two and a half times. So some of those diseases, what was really concerning is that there are some rarer diseases than those. So uh, any increase in those is still going to be uncommon, but they're serious diseases such as Wegener's disease, which is a disease that uh, affects the blood vessels and the nose and the lungs and so forth. And uh, there's some other 
diseases called Bichette disease, sarcoidosis, mm-hmm. temporal arrest, and all of those increase too. Smaller amounts, but relative, small amounts of those disease, but actually a higher increase than even those more common ones. So it's not something to be alarmed about, but it is something that if people develop unusual symptoms or conditions after COVID, worth getting a good checkup and just let's have a good look. Yeah, and really advocate for yourself, I think, when it comes to an autoimmune disease. Um, I have a I have a sister who who has Hashimoto's, Dr. Pate, and it, you know, it took a long time to get a, a proper diagnosis. Yes. It, it certainly can. And uh, yeah. many of these diseases are uncommon enough that many doctors don't see them commonly. Uh, now, what we did notice is the people that were at most risk to develop an autoimmune disease were those who had severe COVID. Also, mm-hmm. like autoimmune diseases in general that typically are more common in women than men, same here. And it was also more common if you were older when you got COVID. So that's what we've okay. come up with so far. And before I let you go today, can we quickly talk about the FDA authorizing uh, the first ever home test for COVID, but also for the flu? And why is this important, Dr. Pate? Well, it's really cool. Uh, so it's important because as we've seen uh, this past respiratory uh, virus season, when people were getting COVID, RSV, human metanumavirus, uh, rhinovirus, uh, influenza, all these different things, it can be really hard to sort these out. And so what's really cool is that that we now have the first test that you can do at home that will test for COVID, influenza A, and influenza B, which are the typically the two strains of, of uh, influenza that circulate. And what's really cool about this is it's not a rapid antigen test. So when you see people holding up those things that look like a pregnancy dipstick, you know, mm-hmm. and they're looking at the line and scrutinizing, is there a line? This is different. This is a molecular test. So it's like the PCR test that you would get at the hospital or somewhere else. It will show up positive sooner than the rapid antigen. And when you do this test and you put it in the device, it you don't have to read a line. It actually lights up a light positive or negative for each one of those so that you know. So it's clear, yes or no. Problem is, it's a little bit more expensive. So if you're going to get that test, uh, when I checked like on Amazon, stuff like that, it's around $99 or so. So it's a little bit more expensive, but you are getting a test for three different things. So, uh, but it's cool. It gives us another option for people that um, are sick and trying to decide. And the reason why those two infections are so important is because those are the two infections. And I, it's three things. It's, it's COVID, influenza A, and influenza B, but I'm just calling it COVID and influenza. Those are the two infections that we can actually offer antiviral treatment for. So that's mm. cool if you can determine that you have one of those two things at home, because then you can go ahead and get started on treatment. No, that's great news. Well, Dr. Payne, as always, we so appreciate you and your time with us today. So thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gemma Gaudet. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, 
All we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies.